I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, this is Don Lowe. Don, uh, a friend that was uh, was a friend of mine. Uh, Don was a, was a great man. Uh, Don was a World War II and Korean War uh, veteran of the United States Navy. Uh, and uh, I met Don just after I graduated from college. Uh, actually, the first... Uh, First week, I was uh, at my first ministry uh, in Ohio. I, I met Don at his wife's funeral. Uh, his wife of 60-plus years had passed away. She had battled Alzheimer's uh, for many years. And Don and I would become acquainted over the next uh, few years um, quite well. Um, he invited me once to go play, uh, play golf with him. He was 84 years old at the time. He's some 60 years as a junior, uh, and he, he schooled me. Uh, he showed me what's up on the golf course. Uh, but... Uh, there was just, he was one of those guys that was a quiet encourager, you could say. Uh, a word here or there of advice, um, praise on a Sunday morning. Uh, Don had lived a great life. He and his wife had poured into the church um, that I was involved in when I was over in Ohio. Uh, had ministered there for many years together as a couple. They were two of the founding members of that church um, that were still left at the congregation. So it broke my heart when I learned in early 2013 that Don... Um, had been diagnosed with cancer again. He had fought the fight of cancer before, um, that evil disease, um, and this time the outlook didn't look so good. I began stopping by Don's house about once every week um, just to, to encourage him and talk with him. And I would come into his quaint uh, suburban uh, neighborhood and walk into his house uh, that was still decorated like it was in the 1970s. Um, uh, there would be an old uh, uh, coffee pot on the counter brewing some coffee, and he would insist on pouring me a cup of coffee as the two of us would sit and, and talk. He shared joys of life, uh, snippets of wisdom, and just thoughts on, on ministry. Here I was going to this man's house to, to minister to him, um, and every time I walked out, I always felt like he was the one who had ministered to me. Early on in my regular visits uh, with Don, he had asked me to officiate his funeral. An honor, to say the least, of such a faithful follower of Christ. And on my, one of my last visits um, with Don, I, I came into his house, knocked on the door. It took quite a while for him to get to the door. and I could tell he was in obvious pain. The cancer had spread to the bone in his hip, um, and uh, he could barely walk at the time. And we got into the kitchen area, and he sis, insisted once again that he's the one that would pour the cups of coffee. Uh, and I watched as he gradually made his way over the counter, using the counter as a crutch of some sort, uh, shakily pouring two cups of coffee and slowly making his way back to the table where he sat down. And as he sat and visited for a while, he shared a truth that had become known to me over those months of visiting with him. But he looked at me in the eye again, and he said, Evan, know this. I've lived a long and happy life, and I'm ready to be at home with the Lord. He was so content at the end of his life, content to die physically. The Apostle Paul knew of that type of contentment. Uh, remember how he put it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and a time for my departure is near. You know, Timothy knew his death was, or Paul knew his death was coming. At the time, he wrote this as he lay in the pit of a jail cell. Um, likely among other true criminals, he was in prison for, for, sharing, for sharing Jesus, um, for sharing Christ with others, for ha having uh, shared this hope that he had and the hope that he wanted them to come to know. But 
But even in his dying moments, the Apostle Paul insisted in carrying out his work, his missionary work, and supporting others. He wrote letters to churches, and he wrote letters to other individuals in the ministry, and one of those was his young son in the faith, Timothy. And we're going to look at that today. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's on page 965 in the Bibles, right underneath the chairs if you'd like to turn there. So how can someone be so content at the end? You know, if, if I'm honest with you this morning, this is something I've had to figure out lately. Um, I've dealt with some medical concerns brought on by some busyness and anxiety. Um, nothing that's going to kill me. Um, but when your heart feels like it's going to pound out of your chest, uh, you quickly begin to think those questions. Am I going to die? Right? And for me, my first thought is, I, I don't want to die. I know God's truth. I know um, that it's not about what I have done on this earth. I know that it's about what Christ did for me on the cross. But, and I know there's an, an eternity in a much better place that awaits me, but, but I, I couldn't describe myself in that moment when I, I felt so overwhelmed by what was going on physically with my body. I could not describe myself as content to die. At least I didn't think I could. So what about you? Let's say, for instance, and I do not wish this upon anybody, but let's say, for instance, you walk into a doctor's appointment this week. Just a normal checkup, visit, and, and, and the doctor does a few things and looks at you and takes a, a minute and then says, you know, something's overtaking your body, and I'm estimating that you may have a week, maybe two to live. Would you like my friend Don, or like the Apostle Paul, be able to look death in the eye and with a clear and solid contentment in regard to your life, be able to say, all right, my time has come. That's why I think it's so important for us to read the rest of what Paul told Timothy in chapter 4 of this, this personal letter to this young son in the faith. He goes on after saying, you know, I've been poured out like a drink offering, and this time, right, this time for my departure has come, right? He knows my end is near. And he goes on in verse 7, he says this. This may be familiar to some of you this morning. It says, I have I fought the good fight, I've, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul's contentment was in Christ. That's very, very clear. Paul had been begun to live a, a, a life with Christ um, after Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. There was a, a true change in who Paul was. He went from this, this murderer uh, of Christians to a, a true Christ follower. He went from actually a man by the name of, of Saul to now a man by the name of Paul. His name literally changed. So from that beginning, he, he knew, I am now journeying with, with Christ. He, he knew he had uh, triumph over death in Christ. But there was something else about what Paul says to Timothy. It seems to bring even further contentment. Um, more about it. It was about how he had lived his life from that moment on, right? And the truth is, people probably, you know, 200 years from now aren't going to remember the, the birth date that you were born on or the day you died. What they'll remember, if they remember you at all, will be the dash, as some have put it, right? Right? People don't remember the birth and the death. They remember the life that was, was lived. And there was something about what Paul said here. He, he recognized that, that with Christ, a life well lived would bring him contentment at the end. You know, ask any preacher. 
Any minister of the gospel, uh, what they will talk to people about on their deathbed. And I can guarantee you, people won't say things like this. You know, I wish I had more money in my bank account right now. No one will look at you on their deathbed and tell you, you know what, I, I wish I would have worked that overtime. Got the time and a half that was due to me. Um, or, you know what, I, I, I could have worked that holiday, got double time, and made a, made a little bit more, Right? Or, you know what, I, I wish I got the toy that I wanted. You name it, the car, the gadget, the, the bigger home with more square footage, whatever else it may be. No one on their deathbed asks for more things or more money or more possessions. It's said almost always the conversation when somebody is coming to the end of their life revolves around things like their legacy, right? What, what their life was, was all about. Who, who they were and, and how they'll be remembered. It's about their people. And when I say their people, I mean their spouse, their children, their friends, the impact they had on these people, good and bad. They'll talk about things like their faith or their commitment to the Lord and what they have in Him. They'll, they'll speak of their security in Christ. You see, our world will tell us that once you have blank amount in the bank account, that you'll be content. Or once you have X amount of square footage, you'll be satisfied. Or, or once you have that certain amount saved up for the retirement, that's when you'll be able to say, oh, I can do this now. Or, or when you get that object of status, right? We all have seen Matthew McConaughey's commercials on the Lincoln, right? Goodness, those are the worst commercials. Have you seen Jim Carrey's impression of McConaughey? Oh, it's even better. Uh, but, uh, you know, right? Status. He's in this, like, fancy home, and then he hops in his Lincoln. So I guess if we all buy Lincolns, we're going to get fancy homes too, right? It's all about status. And the world says that's what you need. You need status. And why for a short while, coming to find one of these things may bring a sense of accomplishment. When physical death comes knocking at your door, nothing about those, nothing about these things, about money, will bring you contentment. Instead, with Christ. A life well lived will bring contentment at your end. Scripture tells us that. It shows us that time and time and time again. It shows us how to live without regret at the end of our life. Paul says, right, he says, I have fought the good fight. It says you can have no regrets of, of your fight in life. That you can live a life seeking Christ. You know, in sports... Um, any team, any sport is built around a contest, right? This team versus that team, or this individual against that individual, um, and, and they're looking for the winner, the contest. That's why when a coach is coaching his team, um, he will use anything to try to motivate his, uh, his players or his, the individual that's going out against uh, in that match. And, and he'll usually, there's oftentimes this, this phrase that coaches will use. You've probably heard it a time or two before if you've ever played a sport. He'll say, leave it all out on the field or the court or the mat, whatever it may be. That's, that statement has purpose. It's saying, you know what, give me everything you got, all your physical ability, all your talent, all your, your effort, all your mental capacity. You give it everything you got when you're out on the court. That's all, you can, all we can ask for. You've done that at the end. That's, that's any, everything that we can ask from you. you. You probably know where I'm going with that, right? And the same way an athlete competes in a game to win is how we should approach the battle against our flesh, our desire 
what, what the adversary would throw at us. To see it as a, a contest in a sense, our competition of against the world and what its desires are being told and what it's telling us is what we want and what we know the Spirit of the Lord is saying, this is what you truly, truly need. And that is a battle. Paul recognized that. He actually even uses that same, similar analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. It says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul understood something that we must as well. He said, you're not playing a game. This isn't some silly match. It's not really going to matter in the long run. He understood that the battle against the flesh was not something to be taken lightly. He understood that the fight against what we desire sometimes, against sin. And when Paul wrote this years before his death, he understood at the end, at the end he wanted to be able to say, I left it all out there. I gave everything I got. So for you, what's your struggle? Maybe it is contentment. You know, Paul says it like this in in Romans 7. Uh, We're not sure if this is the only thing Paul struggled with, but we can be sure it's something that he mentions and he specifically talks about to a church. He says, what shall we say then? Is this the law? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Then in the verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter, he says, So we, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. If there's any passage in Scripture that I could point you to that you see the humanity of somebody, this is, this is a man that is struggling with sin right here. Romans 7. Read through that whole, whole, whole chapter. You will be encouraged by it. Comes to the end, he talks about what a wretched man I am, but thanks be to God. Right? Paul understood that there is a battle going on here. He talks about that term coveting, right? The, the covet means to yearn or to, to possess uh, something, to have something. You, you want it. And, and in this moment, we recognize that Paul may have struggled with an issue of, of greed. No wonder that Scripture speaks so much about money, right? Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Eleven of the 39 parables in the stories teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke deal with money, almost a third of them. One of every seven verses in that same Gospel talk about money and possessions. You see, the love of money has distracted too many. It's broken too many relationships. It's driven too many. It's sent too many to hell. They've made it their their greatest desire. So, will you be able to die saying, I fought the good fight. I gave everything I had. Whatever that sin struggle may be, maybe for you it's not, it's not that. 
Maybe it's, you know, you, you run to the pantry or, or, or whatever food there may be instead of running to God. You struggle to, to try to fill that void in your life with, with, with excess of, uh, of, of food. Maybe, you know what, maybe it's a battle against the flesh to keep the eyes and mind pure, away from things like pornography and lust. Maybe it's a battle against your spirit of pride. You always want to be right. You never want to let down. And you just know that God is saying, I, you need to humble yourself right here. This is what I would have of you. And maybe it is. Maybe it is contentment. That you need to be able to say, whether in riches or in little, I will find my joy in Christ. You see, whatever the battle is, in a sense, I get to be the coach right now. And I get to say, you know what? It's time to strap up, Right? It's time to, to build yourself up and it's time to go, go all out. To leave it all out on the field because at the end of your days, you want to be able to look back and say, from that moment on, you know what, I, just, I gave everything I got. I, I, I tried so hard and I know I fell short from time to time. You will fall short. But, but I, I, fought, I fought a fight and I fought the good fight for the Lord. But not only does he say that, he doesn't just say, I fought the good fight, right? He says, I have finished the race. Does it mean that you can have no regrets of your, your purpose? That you're called to, to live a kingdom-focused life? A race has an objective, right? Find out who's the fastest. NASCAR, find out who the fastest car is. A sprint, find out who the fastest sprinter is. It, it, it's got that purpose. The same is true of your life. Your life has, has purpose. God placed you in this world for purpose. Don't let anybody ever lie to you about that. You have purpose. Not you as, uh, you as a body, yes. As a congregation, yes. But you individually have purpose in the eyes of God. Don't let anybody ever tell you you don't have purpose. God has a purpose for you. It says it very clearly in Psalm 139. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When something is ordained, that means it is set apart for purpose. So whether you know Christ now as the Lord and Savior of your life, or you've not fully yet, yet fully came to understand who Christ is and this love that this, this, this God has for you, know this, God has a purpose for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 says this to Christ's followers. It says, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do His work and to speak out for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. See, you, you have purpose. And at the end of your life, you want to know that you've served that purpose. Yogi Berra and Hank Aaron are probably two of baseball's uh, greats. They go down as some of the greatest uh, players ever played the game. Yogi on the left, um, he was an interesting individual, short little stout little guy. You probably would have looked at him and gone, man, he played baseball, professional baseball. Um, but he was catcher, um, has a lot of, uh, of records of his own, uh, all kinds of championships to his name. Uh, and then Hank Aaron was known as a, a power hitter, lots of home runs, uh, 
a good baseball player. There's a story of the two of them that uh, came out to, to them together. It was a situation that happened at the plate. Uh, Yogi was catching. Hank came up to the plate. And, and Yogi was normally known for banter at the plate. And so he starts, you know, uh, mouthing off to, to Hank. And he, he says, hey, Hank, you're holding your bat wrong. You've got to be able to hold it where you can read the logo or the trademark on the bat. Hank kind of blew it off and didn't really think about anything he was saying. Pitch came in, and he sent the ball selling over the left field fence for a home run. So he trots around the bases. He comes back to the home plate where Yogi is standing there looking at him, and he says, hey, Yogi, uh, I didn't come here to read, right? (laughs) He says, I came here to hit home runs. He knew his purpose. That was his purpose, hit the ball, not to read. So do you know your purpose? I mean, really, do you know what God has ordained for you to do in this life? I know this. I can tell you what your purpose is not. Your purpose is not to have big bank accounts. It's not to have every toy and possession you might ever want. It's not to work 80-plus hour weeks so you can bring home a fat check. Right? You see, your true purpose will never have anything to do with, with money. So, so what is your purpose exactly? I don't think I can tell you that. But what I can tell you is what your purpose is ultimately. Your purpose is to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. To help others to come to know the love that you have come to know. You know, that may use money. Matt mentioned it last week that we can gain friendship with money. The scripture tells us that. And that may mean that you can use money to gain influence over others. It doesn't mean you can't have big bank accounts or you can't have possessions. But it does mean that those shouldn't be the the greatest desires of your heart. I mean, Matthew 6, verse 24 says it so clearly. You can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. can't be any clearer than that. You can't be a lover of God and a lover of money. You've got to pick one or the other. You see, your purpose, will, you will never look back on your deathbed and say, eh, it was money right? Scripture says it like this, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's wound, and and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. You have kingdom purpose, God's purpose, and he wants to use you to do great things for his glory. And that, at the end, you will then be able to say, I finished the race, I served my purpose from beginning to end. From that moment when I gave my life over to the Lord, and and now at my end, you know, I I gave everything I had, and I finished the race, and I I sought after his purpose, which then became my purpose. But he continues, right? Not only had he fought the good fight, not only had he finished the race, he says, I've kept the faith. Say you can have no regrets of your faith. And you can leave a worthy inheritance behind. Faith that Jesus is and was and will always be the true Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's the legacy that Paul left, right? We don't hear anything about Paul leaving this this inheritance to his young son in the faith. No possessions went over to the church at Ephesus because Paul left them behind for him on his deathbed. You know what? Paul didn't have anything to his name on his deathbed. The only thing he had was his faith. Faith that continued in the midst of persecution or in the midst of beating and ultimately in the midst of death. You know, Proverbs 13, says this, though. It says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, 
but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So as I, I look at that, I, hear this. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to leave a good inheritance for your children. I think this is great, quite biblical, as this verse would, would tell us. But what's more important to you? Leaving behind a bank account of worldly wealth or leaving to your children faith in Jesus Christ? There will be no amount of money left for your children at your death that will trump leaving them Jesus. I didn't become a minister to make money. (laughs) And I'm probably not going to be able to leave a lot behind for my children or their children's children. But what I do know is I can leave in Jesus. And so can you. No matter if you have millions in the bank account right now or you have nothing in the bank account, you can teach your children what it's like to find your joy and contentment in Christ and Christ alone. And whether they have much or they have little, they'll know who to find their joy in. And that is Christ. So some of you say, well, I don't have children. What about me? Paul didn't have children. But we're we're talking about Paul right now. We're talking about his faith. We're talking about the man who was sitting in a a jail cell, preaching to to others, telling them about this contentment and how he was so content in his life. So he can have influence on others. So if you don't have children this morning, that's all right. You can influence others in your life. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's by volunteering in one of our, our ministries and helping out with children. Um, maybe it's by, by serving somebody outside in the community or your next-door neighbor. You can influence them, and you too can share with them that your contentment is not found in your riches, but it's found in Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Scripture tells us that we are called to, to write uh, the commandments uh, on, on our doorposts. They, it talks about this. You familiar passage, you've probably heard it before. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You know what it's saying there? It's saying, make them your everything so that others come to know that that's your everything. And that's when you will truly leave a legacy behind. Dave Ramsey, who is a a financial guru, a guy that's written all kinds of books about how to uh, be smart with your money and basically to invest your money and to do do good for the kingdom, but also to do good for yourself. Uh, He's a good good guy. Some of you have taken some of our financial peace classes. Well, that's his his baby. Uh, But he has a heart of Christ as well. He wrote a book called The Legacy Journal, and in that book he shares this story. He says, my favorite hero from the Civil War era is someone you've probably never heard of. Clyde Eccles West was 17 years old when he fought in that war. I won't tell you which side he fought on because it really doesn't matter. There were great men in blue and there were great men in gray. And Clyde Eccles West was definitely a great man. He says, by the time the war was over, Clyde had had enough of the fighting. A man of faith, he had felt a strong call to live his life doing something great for the kingdom of God. As soon as the war, uh, the army had released him, Clyde put everything he owned, including his precious leather-bound Bible, into two saddlebags and threw them over a mule and headed south. Clyde went from town to town on that mule, proclaiming the name of Jesus as he worked his way through the south, he says, and finally settled down in Maryville, Tennessee. He got married, he had kids, and years later, with a legacy of preaching to his name, educating young minds, loving his wife, and raising some pretty 
incredible children. Clyde Eccles West passed away. Dave goes on to say, now the story may not sound all that remarkable to you. I'm sure that there are thousands of fine young men like Clyde back in those days, and any one of their stories could be more powerful than this one. But there's one difference, though. There's something that brings me back to this particular preacher, he says. There's a reason the story of Clyde Eccles West is so important to me. You see, he was my great-great-grandfather. You see, the greatest legacy, a worthy legacy, will never be of the dollar. While Scripture is clear that it's a blessing and we should be faithful with what God has entrusted to us, dollars will not bring contentment at the end. The Apostle Paul left quite the legacy behind. A legacy that today, as great-great-grandchildren of the faith, we can remember as well. Paul knew that he had a checkered past. I mean, he was, as he said, the greatest of sinners. He understood, though, that through Christ, when he had that transformation and came to know the Lord, that from that moment on, he could start moving forward. And at the end of his days, he could say those things. He understood that with Christ, a life well lived would bring him contentment at the end. And that's why he concludes that passage of Scripture in verse 8 of chapter 4 of the second letter to Timothy, saying, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul knew that physical death meant so much more. It meant eternity with Christ. You know, I'm not sure where you're at this morning. You know, for some of you, maybe you aren't with Christ. And today, you need to accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life for the very first time. You know, without Christ, you will have nothing. With Christ, you will have everything. Matt's going to be over here by the baptistry. And if you want to ask him some questions or come to understand what it means to truly follow Christ... I encourage you to step over here and talk with Matt. For some of you this morning, you know what? You've known Christ as Lord. You've known Him as Savior, but you're starting to look back at that moment when you you change and you're realizing, you know what? My life has been searching after some other things, and I don't know if I could say I fought the good fight right now. I want to be able to find that contentment at the end, and you you need to just repent of some things, and you want to pray at these steps, or if you'd like to pray with myself, I'll be over by the cross, or Tom will be at the back of the room. We want to encourage you to take those steps of faith. The truth is, though, no one will be promised tomorrow. Today, we have today. And we can make changes in our life today. It starts with one step. Because the truth is, someday, someday we all are going to come to our deathbed in this physical body, mere tents as the scripture would call them, but we will come to an end And the only thing that will matter is Christ. And it is what we do with that that will bring us contentment.